Today we're going to be covering Luke chapter 10, verses 21 to 24. In April of 1945, a certain woman's city had become the front lines of the Second World War. Her city and her country both were about to be lost. And she wrote in her diary, These are strange times, history experienced firsthand, the stuff of tales yet untold and songs unsung. But seen close up, history is much more troublesome. Nothing but burdens and fears. Tomorrow I'll go and look for nettles and get some coal. This is our common, nearsighted human nature. Our joys and our concerns are often confined to the space that we inhabit. This is why we say that we miss the whole forest for the trees. Uh, We say of some people that they can't see past the end of their nose. It's just me and mine and all that we go through is mostly mundane. It's kind of like one bucket of coal at a time getting through another week, plodding. But I want you to realize this morning the day in which you live. I want you to realize where you are in the history of God's salvation. Because from the Lord Jesus Christ, Where we are in history, the history of our salvation, elicits joy that overflows in praise to God. We are here to worship God. That's why you were created. That's why you were saved. To bring glory to God, to worship Him. We see in this moment in Luke 10, as I'll read in just a second, we see that knowing the grace that has been brought to us by God brings praise. It brings great joy. It caused Jesus joy, not that He needed saving or was saved, but that He was singing over the people of God as God's will was accomplished in them. And He wanted to remind His disciples of where they were and how they got to this particular moment. It is owed all to the grace of God. So in this text, Jesus is going to teach you and me where we are in history, He is going to model for us how that turns to joy and praise as He reminds us that it's all by grace. All right? We're going to look now, verses 21 to 24. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. It says, In that same hour He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then turning to the disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's pray. Father, it is so easy for us to be distracted by the cares of this world. It's so easy for us also to think that there are bigger and better things for us to be engaged in right now than together in the Word of God engaged with 
what you have to say to us. So easy for us to think that this is just another Sunday, just this thing that we do every week, just to go through the motions. I pray that wouldn't be the case, Father, with a single person who is here, not me, as I preach your word and hear it, and not my church family, Father. I pray that we would receive this word as the word of God. I pray that it would fall on that good ground. I pray that no heart here would be obstructed by the thorns of this world, cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. No heart would be overcome by the pain of circumstances. I pray that we would receive your word with joy. It would take root in us and it would bear fruit for your glory and for your kingdom. Please give to us according to your promise, your Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, we need your grace. We have no claim on you. Nothing in our lives, Father, can commend us. We ask for your grace and for your mercy in this hour, for our time of need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may recall from a couple of Sundays ago, as we went through the first 20 verses of this chapter, that we were following the short mission trip that Jesus had sent these 72 other disciples on without any supplies. He sent them out, withheld their supplies, told them even to to lose their sandals. They were to go out only with the word of Christ to proclaim the kingdom of God. And through His Word, God would have His way in every heart. Those disciples came back at the end of that passage rejoicing, verse 17, that even the demons had been subject to them in the name of Christ. In the following verse, 18, Jesus confirmed their victory and rejoiced with them, said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And yet, in verse 20, He reminded them that no matter what spiritual success they experienced in ministry on behalf of the Lord, that wasn't to be the source of their ultimate joy. Rather, their joy was to be fixed in heaven, in the fact that their names are written there, that they belong irrevocably to God. Because belonging to God in Jesus is the prize of our salvation. That's the one joy that you and I can never lose. It's fixed. It's eternal. Eternal life has already begun for us. Even though, true, if Jesus does not return beforehand, we will lose the health of our bodies and we will be buried in the grave. But eternal life, which is knowing God and Jesus Christ, whom He has sent, has already begun. It's our present possession. That's where our joy is. And so then in verse 21, as He reminds them of where their joy is fixed in glory, he also rejoices. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Do you remember the story of the emperor's new clothes? I'm sure you do. One of the old fairy tales that have been even uh, 
spun into cartoons. Um, can't remember exactly how it goes, but anyway, you remember, remember, I don't remember how the cartoon goes, is what I mean. But you remember the story of how a couple of con men come to the emperor of the land and convince him that they are clothing tailors and have the world's finest fabric to tailor for the king um, the world's most beautiful robe or, or whatever it was. The, the only thing, the, the most special thing about the emperor's new clothes is that the fabric was only visible to the wise. So the emperor, having an emperor's pride, would, ref, you know, he wouldn't admit that he couldn't see this fabric. And so when the time came, he put on his new clothing and paraded himself down the streets of the capital. And of course, everybody else had pride too, and they wouldn't dare admit that they couldn't see the emperor's clothes, so everybody's ooing and aahing and admiring what he's wearing, until a little child begins to point and laugh because the emperor is naked. These are the wise and understanding. To put it in biblical terms, they think they are rich and have prospered and have need of nothing, not realizing that they are, according to Revelation 3, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. These are the wise and understanding who have the glory of the gospel hidden from their sight. They think that the gospel is something that really needs improvement. It can't be so simple, plain, and unvarnished. It needs improvement. So they think that they, by their good works, can add to it and can improve it. Now, on the other hand, Jesus said there are the little children. Jesus says that God has hidden these things, the glory of the gospel, the power of God's Word in the Gospel from the wise and understanding and revealed it to little children. The little children are all of those, young and old, who have been humbled by God, who know that they have nothing in them that would merit their name's consideration for God's book. They can't add to the Gospel in a way that would improve it. They realize that. All they can do is receive it by faith. And so they find in the Gospel all that they need. Do you think that the Gospel of Jesus Christ needs improvement? Do you think that it needs improvement for your salvation or for someone else's salvation? That's a great temptation before we are saved. Well, surely there's got to be something that I can do, right? There's an effort that I need to put forward I need to be baptized in addition to believing in Jesus. Something. We think that the gospel needs improvement. Even afterward, after we have been saved, as we consider the the lost souls of those who are around us, we're still tempted to think that the gospel needs improvement. You know, that it needs to be framed in lights. needs to be accompanied by, you know, the word needs a musical score added to it, or it needs a, a laser show or something. We're always tempted to think that the gospel needs improvement. But the little children, those who have been humbled by God, know that you can't add to the gospel. If you add to the gospel, you ruin it. 
It's like that expression that says uh, you can't put lipstick on a pig. Because, you know, nothing you add to a pig is, is going to help. A pig is a pig is a pig. Imagine someone um, deciding that Leonardo's Mona Lisa needed improvement. And, you know, that's rather a plain smile. 1400s, 1500s, whenever it was, you know, come on, let's add a little something. So they pull out lipstick out of their pocket and paint lipstick on Mona Lisa's famous smile. What would they do in adding to it? They would take away. You can't put lipstick on a pig because a pig is a pig is a pig. Anything, nothing you add is going to help. And you can't put lipstick on the gospel because the gospel is glory. And glory is glory is glory. Anything you add to it is going to take away from it. We can't improve on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke writes in verse 21 again, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. These moments are, are brief and not very frequent that we see the communion word-for-word communion of Jesus with His Father by the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I, I can't wait for the day when we don't just hear the report of it or read the report of it, but that we actually see that happen with our own eyes and hear it with our own ears firsthand in glory. Jesus is going to sing. And God is going to join Him. And by the Spirit, Father and Son are going to sing over their people. And we're going to be there. Jesus, bound to the Father by the Spirit, the text says, by the Spirit, overflows in gratitude to God. Didn't intend to point this out, but that passage is so richly Trinitarian. I mean, you can't deny the, the truth of the Trinity. It's everywhere throughout Scripture. But notice what it is that compels the joy of Jesus. Jesus is singing here just like His mother sang. Like Mary sang when she found out that she was going to bear a son and He would actually be the Son of God. Remember the song? She sang, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. If you and I think that we are mighty on our own, if you think that you and I can add to ourselves by good works riches, that we can have spiritual riches that would commend us to God, we're going to be sent away empty. It's the little children It's the humble, it's the lowly who are able to receive the Word of God as it is. We must not think like the world thinks. We must not value what the world values. Because if you see God like the world sees God, if you know God in the way that the world knows God, then it's the world, not God, who is in you. If you love what the world loves, you're not compiling, building up treasures in heaven, but on this earth. And those treasures will be to your undoing. If we build up treasures higher and higher in this life, 
like the world does, it's all going to come crashing down on us. It will crush us. But if you can rejoice above all the world that your name is written in heaven, if you can rejoice above all the world that you know God by the Son, then your heart is tracking with Jesus' heart and you share in Jesus' joy. One thing that we must realize if we're going to have that same joy of Christ overflowing in praise to God, we need to realize that our salvation from first to last is owed all to the grace of God. From beginning to end, it's all grace. So Jesus says in verse 22, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. One of the the stresses, especially in John's Gospel of Jesus, is that God has given to the Son all things. We, We saw it in Hebrews a few weeks back. Jesus is the heir of all things. Remember that from Hebrews beginning of chapter 1? God has given to His Son all authority in heaven and on earth in order to give eternal life to all whom the Father has given to the Son. Jesus says that the relationship of God the Father and God the Son is an exclusive relationship. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son. And then he goes on to say at the end that by the astounding, sovereign grace of God, you and I have been brought into this exclusive relationship. You and I have been brought into the fellowship of the triune God. Now what condition was met in order to to know God? None. If we met, if we had to meet a condition in order to have God revealed to us, God would never be revealed to us. If we, if we had to meet a condition beforehand, we would never know Him. Christ chose to make God known to us purely of God's sovereign grace. If we did meet a condition in order to know God, we would wonder what is wrong with everybody else. But we can't wonder at what is wrong with everybody else. We can only wonder that Jesus Christ has chosen to make God known to us. You see, there's two twin truths that humble us down to the dust. I know it's tempting to say, Jesus Christ chose to make God known to me. I must be pretty special. Wrong. If we had to meet a condition, if we had to be pretty special, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know Him. But the truth of my total depravity, which doesn't mean I'm as bad as I could possibly be, even Joseph Stalin, infamous dictator of the Soviet Union, apparently was nice to his dog, doesn't mean we're as bad as we could possibly be, but that we are infected with sin in every part of us. Our hearts, our minds, our wills, heart, mind, soul, strength. In every part of us, we're infected with sin. 
So you combine that truth with the truth that God has purely of His sovereign grace chosen to make Himself known to us. That lifts us up to heaven, but not to look down upon others. All we can say is, who am I that I should know the Lord of heaven and earth? How is it that God could set all of His heart on me, a worm raging against Him? That's the truth of who we are. We are worms raging against the King of heaven and earth. And yet God set all of His heart in His Son on you and me. You can't explain that except by grace. We owe it all to grace. If that does not compel us to worship, to overflow with praise and gratitude to the Lord, what possibly could? It moves Jesus Christ to sing and we should join Him. He rejoices at the sovereign grace of God. Do you? Do you give all the glory to God for your salvation from first to last? Jesus adds in verse 23 and 24, Then turning to His disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. As one writer says, Jesus was telling these disciples that in the microcosm of their experience, they had in fact experienced the turning point of all of history. What a day! Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah. I'm not going to say Lamentations. Could have almost. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Josiah also. How, how they longed to see this day. They would have given an eye up, I imagine, to see what the disciples were blessed to see with their two good eyes. What a day. But even as Jesus pronounces this blessing on His disciples, He says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. I don't believe that this blessing is actually restricted just to the disciples. And there's, there's a reason for that. He has to be talking about something that is greater and deeper and more miraculous than simply seeing Jesus in the flesh. Because there were a ton of people that saw Jesus in the flesh besides the faithful besides those who believed and and worshipped and followed Christ. Most of the people who saw Him didn't believe. So seeing Jesus with their physical eyes was not a blessing for them. So Jesus had to be talking about something that was deeper and greater and even more miraculous. I believe that He had to be talking about seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus with what Paul calls the eyes of the heart. With those spiritual eyes that are given to us by the grace of God. And so this blessing is not restricted. You don't even have to word it that way. Um, or you don't have to even come to that conclusion from these words. 
Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. So blessed are all the eyes that see what the disciples saw. And I believe that that includes the eyes of the heart. Seeing Christ by faith. Now, what, what is the difference between, you know, Adam and Abraham and Moses and David and all the rest and us? What are we seeing that's differently from what they saw? Didn't they see with the eyes of the heart? Yes, they did. But they were seeing promise. And we see the glory of God in fulfillment. In the face of Jesus Christ, the great King who has come for us and lived for us and died for us and for our sins been buried and over our sin and over the grave been raised victoriously. We see it from the point of fulfillment. And that is what makes our day so tremendously significant. As the author of Hebrews wrote in, in Hebrews 1 verse 1, in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. The end of the ages has dawned upon us. And it dawned with the coming of Christ. So this blessing is not restricted to those who laid their eyeballs on Jesus but as for all who behold in the face of Jesus Christ the glory of God with the eyes of the heart. With the eyes of the heart. What is, uh, what is one of the world's most popular cliche expressions these days as we experience the culture wars and, and so on? The world is always telling believers that we are on the wrong Fill in the blank. We're on the wrong what? We're on the wrong side of history. Right? On the wrong side of history. You hear it all the time these days. If you're paying any attention to the culture wars and the debates over these rights and those and so on, we're on the wrong side of history. Look at what Jesus says. How many prophets and kings long to see this age of fulfillment? but weren't able to to see it. I, I take it from what Jesus is saying, that the world doesn't know what history or wrong is. We are, according to the word of Christ, on the blessed side of history. Because the King has come. He has completed the work that God has given Him to do. He has triumphed over the grave. He has ascended into glorious, to glory victorious, and He is coming back soon. Are the eyes of your heart enlightened? Do you see? Do you see the wonder and the magnitude of being put here? You see, all that you have is owed to God's grace. Not only your salvation, but to be at this place and this time in salvation history. We don't appreciate it. I guess one, we don't know the history. We don't know the history of our salvation. We don't get into it. We don't feel what it, it was to, to be in that age of promise and always waiting, always hoping, and century after century going by. And then the king comes and he says, the time is fulfilled. Prophets and kings long to see our day and didn't get to. Do you see in Jesus Christ what the Bible ascribes to Him in Revelation? Are the eyes of your heart enlightened? Do you see in Jesus all 
the power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing as the hosts of heaven sing to him, ascribe to him in Revelation 5? Do you see in Jesus all that you need? Do you see in Jesus the end of all your searching? The satisfaction of all your spiritual hunger? The quenching of all your spiritual thirst? Have you found in Christ all that you need? Do you see Him? The glory of Him with the eyes of your heart? I want you to think about something with me. You know, if you, if you put the words of Jesus here in any other mouth, we would call that person a big fat loser. How arrogant is the man who says, I am the sight that prophets and kings longed to see. I mean, how, how arrogant does that sound? It's like when George leaves church. I thought you were going to leave for a moment, George, and I was going to talk about you and wanted, no, I wanted you to be here. You know, it's, it's like when George leaves church and sometimes he says, uh, glad you got to see me. Now, of course he can't mean it or it wouldn't be funny. We have to assume it anyway that he doesn't mean it. And, and it's, it's also not funny when you take a joke and you explain it. It ruins the joke, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull this thing apart and dissect it so we probably won't hear George say it for a while. <clears throat> so instead of, you know, it was good to see you or I'm glad I got to see you, it's glad you got to see me. And just taken at face value, it's it's proud and it's self-centered and it's arrogant. But it can't be meant, you know, because it's not meant, because it sounds so arrogant, then, you know, it's it's funny. Like George is the highlight of my day or something. That's why it's funny. But look at Jesus. Look at exactly what he is saying. He is saying, glad you got to see me. That's exactly what Christ is saying. And he is dead serious. He is completely sincere in what he is saying. And if it was anybody else, you know, we would slap him with the L for loser and we would walk away forever because of the pride and the arrogance of it. But rather than be repulsed at Jesus, we're drawn into Christ because we know that He is absolutely right. Who am I that I should get to see Christ? And who are we that He should be so glad to burst with joy that we get to see Him? Who are we that we get to see Him? And who are we that He should be so glad that we should get to see Him. That's love. You see how the Savior has loved you. What a God we have. What a Savior. Does your heart join in the joy of Jesus that you get to see Him with the eyes of your heart? Does your, do you have that, uh, that Trinitarian joy? That, that triune-centered joy too? Do you rejoice by the Spirit, in praise to God that you are able to see His Son. Jesus says we are blessed. Aren't we? 
We talk, we, we say it all the time. We're blessed. And usually we're talking about, well, I have a job. I have money in the bank. It's a beautiful day. I have health. I have family. I mean, and the, those are blessings from God. They are blessings from God. No doubt about it. But the blessing that Jesus is talking about is that we are able to behold Him with the eyes of faith. And one day when Christ returns, or one day if He calls you home before that, Jesus is going to take you up in His arms. And He's going to lift your downcast eyes to His. And He is going to wipe away every tear. He is going to seat you beside Him. And He is going to give you to eat from the tree of life. This is blessing. This is the blessing of God in Christ. You are going to see the face of your Father at last. And that is the glory of Christ in all its brilliant shining. In April of 1945, this woman wrote in her diary, her country on the edge of defeat, these are strange times. History experienced firsthand. The stuff of tales yet untold and songs unsung. But seen close up, history is much more troublesome. Nothing but burdens and fears. Tomorrow I'll go and look for nettles and get some coal. That's what life feels like. Looking for nettles. It's a plant, by the way. I had to look it up. Some bristly plant. Maybe they were using it for fuel. It feels That's what life feels like. Getting nettles and looking for coal. It's kind of like one boring necessity at a time. But the day in which you and I live by the grace of God is the day that the prophets and the kings longed to see. Because the one in whom all the promises of God are yes has come and finished God's work. And He is coming again soon. I know all of you pretty well. Been with you for a long time. But I don't want to assume just automatically that you can see. Because the Bible says that many cannot see. Paul said that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In another place, he said they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Jesus says, This people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with the ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Do you know that even as a believer, though you will never lose your salvation and though you will never be totally blind to the glory of God in the face of Jesus, your heart can grow dull. Your eyes can get foggy you can begin to lose the sight of glory and begin to get attracted to the world. Like, the Gospel needs improvement. Look at what the world has to offer. It's so alluring. It has so much. It's cool. You know, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. We can get bored to God and bored to His glory in the Gospel of His Son. I want to ask you, can you see Can you see the glory of God shining full in the face of Jesus? Open your eyes and turn them to the Lord Jesus Christ.
there may be someone who gathers here Sunday after Sunday who says, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't see what you're saying you see. It's lost to me. When I look at the Gospel, when I hear the preaching of God's Word, I don't hear beauty and glory. My heart is drawn elsewhere. And if you find that your vision is getting blurry to the glory of God and Jesus, just pray. Say, open my eyes that I may see. Pray and plead until the answer falls from heaven and those spiritual scales fall from your spiritual eyes and you see it. That Jesus is all. All you need and all you want in this life, He is sufficient to take care of you through death and He has enough salvation and He has enough for satisfaction for eternal ages yet to come. Pray and plead until you can see. And when He has answered, when the scales have fallen from your eyes, keep on praying all your life long. Lord, give me those eyes that can see. Let's pray. Father, we know and we feel it in our daily experience that left to ourselves, our eyes will go blurry. We'll lose the vision. We won't see Jesus as enough. We'll think the gospel needs improvement. We won't be compelled by His wonder and His glory. We won't see the beauty if we are left to ourselves. So please, we are praying together and we are pleading for ourselves and for one another. Give us eyes that can see. It's Your work. We can't heal ourselves. We can't fix this vision. You must do it. So we pray that by Your grace, through Your Spirit, You would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that will perceive and believe. Would You do this for us according to Your mercy and grace in Jesus? In His name we pray and we give You thanks because we are fully expecting that You will answer yes in Christ. In Jesus we pray. Amen.